I'm going to read uh, just, a, just a couple of verses for us today. We're going to um, continue talking about Godspeed and how to kind of, how do we do this. And we're, I want us to really think about place and pace. Place and pace today. And our, our scripture to kind of ease us in and then I'll pray is what Jesus says to you, he says to me. Like a free offer and invitation. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light because he has carried it for you. And he gives you rest because you don't have to carry it. You take on his yoke, which is easy and light. So that's the invitation today as we think about God's speed, as we think about the place God has put us in and the pace um, he is calling us to move at. So let me pray for us and we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to consider these things, to be invited by you, Lord Jesus, to find rest for our souls, rest for our bodies. And uh, we know this is challenging, the world we live in, the places we inhabit the different technology and tools we have surrounding us, and the pressures we have put on us every day. And we pray that you would help us to find a, a better way forward um, through the power of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is that door open? Did somebody, is it shut now? Okay. All right. So, um, again, we've been doing this every day. just want to remind us of our goal. This is our goal. We want to reflect on our speed and our pace and our place, and we've done that a little bit already. Um, we'll continue to do that today in light of God's speed, but then explore God's speed. And we got to think about that a little bit yesterday, looking at Matt Canlis' story from the documentary, but also um, thinking about it ourselves and, and acknowledging that we can't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this without the good news of the gospel found in Jesus and we looked at that, how um, we are made priests, a kingdom of priests to God, a royal priesthood through the, the faithful priesthood of Jesus. And so that enables us to live God's speed right where we are, um, making offerings with our, 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 even our bodies, our, our lives. We are a living sacrifice to the Lord where we are. Um, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, we get to live God's speed right where we are. Um, and then try to think of how can we take it back home. And so today I'm hoping to give you a few more little practical nuggets of things you can actually go and maybe try and, and maybe do um, when you go back home um, as you kind of ease back into normal life. Because life at camp, life during the summer is not the norm, right? It's not at all the norm. Um, it's, we're thankful for this time in this place, but it's not what we normally are doing. So we're, we're thankful for this, but we're also wanting to think, take some things back. And not just let this be, oh, we talked about this fun thing that was cool, and then never think about it again. You know, we want to benefit and grow from this. Um, so, again, to go back to God's be defined, you guys, uh, you won the prize for remembering it. But to be present where you are, that's the place idea, and we're going to talk about that today. And in order to be present where you are, you have to slow down, just pace. But then present to who, the peop- who surrounds you and what surrounds you, the, the the location, the physical location, and as well as the people. And that's what we're thinking about when we're talking about God's feet, is to be present where you are and present to who and what surrounds you. Well, how do we live, live that way? We talked about that power. Jesus saves us, restores us, 
shows us, as he lived at three miles an hour walking speed in Israel, Jerusalem, Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee. That's really the only places he went in his whole life. He never left his own state, really, like if you think about that. Um, and he empowers us. He sends us his Holy Spirit to live God's be right where we are. You don't have to go to Scotland like Matt Canlis and his family to do this. You can do it where you are. Um, and there's the four priests. I already kind of ran through that. We talked about it. But this is the story and how we're, we're able to do that. So today, and, and bear with me if I have some technical difficulties. I'm trying to play it on the DVD player, but it's been giving me issues this morning. But we're going to watch a little bit more about uh, reflections on place. And then we're going to think about pace. But let me uh, cue it up real quick and see if it will be happy and do what I want it to do. Just give me a sec. Everybody say a prayer. If, if it doesn't work on here, we'll try with the super slow internet, which I've been. Handle 
the new cultural situation that we're in, and then how to realize the points at which it is actually diminishing us and see what we can do about that. We lose scale, we lose the sense of scale. Things are large, noisy, pushy. Um, I guess I don't really want to complain too much about the place I live. Uh, I want to keep thinking, how can I subvert this? How can I work within this so that it doesn't destroy me? And you, you find ways, but you've got to be a You've got to be attentive to it too. And I think one of the things that the gospel does for us is it trains us in attentiveness to what's here. Uh, the I am, the I amness of this world we're living in, where Jesus is present in the Spirit. So uh, I'm not much of a fan of uh, complaining about the culture that we're in. It's the culture that we have. So the culture Jesus was in was, was full of idolatry and full of contention and religious sparring and killing. Much of the killing in the name of the demon or the god or goddess. Uh, that was no big for them. Uh, we've got to learn to be subversive we can find other ways to get the response and relationship going. One of the odd things about uh, the way we are now in the modern Western world is that the last 200 years we've seen this technological explosion which uh, ever since the 18th century has just made us a different sort of people, really. And we're inclined to think that that makes us superior in some way. And, okay, we have mobile phones, we have television, we have uh, global travel, we have all sorts of things. We have the internet, obviously. And it's easy to imagine that we are the enlightened ones, we are the ones who've kind of made it. And then we look back, um, even as recently as Shakespeare, and we think, hey, there was somebody who actually knew a whole lot about a whole lot, and he didn't have a phone, he didn't have a television, he didn't have the internet, but he understood human nature amazingly. Then we go back a couple of thousand years more, um, way past the time of Jesus, and we see a building like the Parthenon in Athens, this astonishing piece of architecture, which uh, it's mind-boggling when you think what they achieved with that building, just aesthetically and structurally and so on. And somewhere in the middle of that, we find, obviously, Jesus of the first century in Palestine. And we realize, actually, these people weren't stupid. In fact, they were every bit as smart as we are, if not more so, uh, because they used their brains differently. I've been living on adrenaline all my life. I loved athletics. I loved to win. And I was given the task of starting a new congregation in suburbia. I never knew, never knew suburbia existed. Uh, I grew up in a small town. I went to school in big cities, Seattle, New York City, Baltimore. 
And suburbia was a total new world to me, and I didn't like it. The only way I knew how to do it, I never were read anything on church growth. I just started out going through the neighborhoods, knocking on doors, getting acquainted with people. I never had to do that before. I grew up knowing everybody in town. And when you're in the city, you don't know anybody anyway, so you have a few friends. But I, uh, I realized how much I'd missed uh, without knowing people, being in their homes, bringing them in our home. And um, so I worked really hard to, just to succeed. I, um, and then we built the church, and uh, it's a beautiful church. I mean, architecturally, it was really, it was great. And, uh, and then suddenly, uh, people quit coming to church. And uh, within six months, our attendance dropped about a third, maybe even half. And I went to my supervisor and said, what do I do? And he said, start another building program. I said, I can't do that. We just got one. We don't need a new building program. He said, that's the only language Americans know. They have a project. And you get it done. And they need a goal. You can't, you can't be successful as a pastor without a goal. Well, when I left his place, I knew I was going to start on the building program. But I didn't know what to do. So I just said, well, Lord, you gave me this. You gave me these people, 80, 100 people. Um, I'll just get to know them. And uh, I realized about halfway through this, well, three or four years into this project, that I've been living on a dreadful all my life. And if I didn't have a goal, there's nothing, no competition, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do anything. So it was that, um, that's what started what I said to you. I just started looking, this is, this is my parish. It wasn't truly a parish, like in Europe there are parishes. I started imagining this is my parish. And uh, after I would say about six years, I called it the Badlands, um, where there wasn't much to look at, not much happening, a few vultures flying around, and that was about it. Uh, but then, and I'd say it took me six years, and I had a, I had a parish. I uh, knew everybody's houses, knew their families, and uh, suddenly I became a pastor. I hadn't been a pastor before that, not in the way I finally became a pastor. So that's what was behind it. I did it without going to Europe. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is there's no place on this earth that's without potential for holiness, or maybe the potential for unearthing holiness right where we are, with these people who we are with. That's what you did in Methlick. That's what you're doing in Wenatchee. That's what we're doing in our little church. And I've got friends who are pastors of large churches and they're doing it there. Largeness doesn't have to be destructive, but you 
got it's dangerous, but it's not destructive. So. See, this is where I got rude at the because now it's doing that. Anyways, it's basically over. Um, give me a second to switch this over. out to you as you were hearing them talk about place and the struggle to embrace the place we're in. What did you hear? What stood out to you? Yeah, it's Thursday. We're a little sleepy, aren't we? <laughs> I am too. Yeah. So that's Eugene Peterson. Who said to go where? No, that was the guy, that was his professor who said you might need to go to out of America to kind of learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, you know written a bunch of books. Um, he actually passed away. Was it last year? Uh, passed away last year. Um, so it's really special that we have you know it's basically we get to spend time with Eugene Peterson through the video. Um, but he um, he also if you've ever seen there's the the um, the Message, which is a kind of a modernization of the Bible. He was one of the main translators and the ones who worked on that, that uh, project. Um, but uh, any, anything that stood out to you about place? <laughs> attentive to where you are? Yeah. Yeah, because he talked about two different places that he was in. He talked about when he was in suburbia and he didn't know what to do with it. And it took, it took a long time. He said, didn't he say like four, five, six years? Um, and I can attest to that. I live in suburbia and we've been there four years and it's, I'm just now feeling like I really know people at our church and really know my neighbors a little bit. And, um, and it's taken a long time. And, but I, I'm in St. Louis, people grow up there and they want to stay there and raise their kids there. So there's a lot of folks who have this richness of generations living in the same place. And so um, it's, I get to see people doing that um, and where we live. And anything else that stood out to you, caught your eye? Yeah. This might be more like pace, but just the way that Eugene talked. <laughs> like he talked very like slow. He would like pause after most statements, like make sure he knew what he was gonna say next. Which like you could just tell that he was like super present, even though it's just the video recording right now, mm -hmm. like he was like there and like genuinely wanted you to like get his message and made sure that he took his time to say what he wanted to say, which I thought was kind of cool. It kind of felt like you're being pastured by your grandpa. We're just, we're sitting, we're, we're sitting down the woods with a grandpa and he's telling us about life. And I'm like, just tell me grandpa, tell me what, tell me how to live. Cause I don't know. Um, yeah. Any, anything else? Just want to catch anything that was hitting you. Okay. We'll keep going. I got some stuff for us. So the the question, and this was from the song that we, we kind of meditated on a little bit yesterday, 
Um, God is asking, and like in Genesis 3, where are you? And you can answer that in different play- ways. And, and the gospel answer, we're brought out of our shame, owning the place we're in by the grace of God, is here I am, Lord. You know, and, and a passage we haven't looked at is actually in uh, Exodus 3, when Moses is out in the wilderness after he's been, basically been exiled from Egypt because he murdered someone. God calls out to him while he's tending sheep from a burning bush when he goes to see it. He says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am, Lord, and it's holy ground. He's, on, he's in this ordinary place, but he finds out that it's holy, and there's holiness there. And that's kind of the idea behind what Eugene Peterson is talking about with unearthing holiness right where you are. Because you, by God's grace, are made into a priest, wherever you are is holy ground. The Holy Spirit dwells in your body as a temple. So where you are is holy ground. Wherever you go. And you have the opportunity to unearth holiness where you are. And so as we think about a place, we, we, you know, we, we, he said that gospel trains us in attentiveness. It enables us. We don't have to work so hard to earn. And so we can just be. You don't have to go and prove yourself because Jesus has proved, him, he has proved you on the cross already. He has proved you through his lived life of righteousness and his going to the cross and his giving of new life in his, in his spirit through his resurrection. You can rest and be attentive and be present because you don't have to prove yourself. You are enough in Jesus. Period. He's finished the work. And so you can be present and be attentive. And that takes time. It trains us in it. It's, it's a process. But then um, he also was talking about every place has the potential for unearthing holiness. The ordinary places, your home, your neighborhood, your school, your uh, team that you're on. I know it's not really a place, but it's a group of people. The court, the field, your town, your church. With all of its warts, with all of its annoyances, with all of its oddness, smallness. Strangeness has the potential for unearthing holiness because of the Holy Spirit, because you are been made a priest to God. And that has effects phys- physically and ge- geographically. So you can answer this question, where are you? God can ask you right now, where are you? Physically and geographically, we're at Camp Olasso, outside of Hawkins, Texas. Kind of almost in the middle of nowhere. But you have to answer this question when you go back home. Where has God placed you providentially in his wise plan to be. You know, like that's what Eugene Peterson said. This is, these are the people you give me, God. This is the place you've given me. Help me to unearth holiness here. Because it's here. Help me to see it. But then, that also ha- has uh, implications for our spiritual and emotional life. Where are you? Are you close to God? Because you can be going to church. You can go into youth group. Maybe you go to a Christian school doing that. And be far from God. Trying to earn your own salvation. Not interested, apathetic, angry. And that bears out in our emotions. Where, where are you emotionally? Do you know how you're, are you aware of how, you, how you're feeling at any given time? A lot of times we, we get confused and it just all turns to anger. But learning how uh, to respond to this question and know where am I spiritually? Am I attentive to my own heart? Am I attentive to my own emotional life? 
the gospel trains us to do that as well. And this happens not only through an encounter with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This happens through an encounter with each other. We learn a lot about spiritual growth and where we are by other people telling us, Hey, what you're doing is messed up. Like, what are you doing? You know, having people come alongside us and point stuff out and encourage us. But also saying, hey, you seem really upset. Or you seem really sad. You seem really anxious. This happens in community as well where we answer this question, here I am, Lord. Application. Here's some things to think about place that you can take home with this. Actually, one of the things, the first thing I want us to do right now, spend maybe a couple minutes doing um, Draw a map of your parish. You guys are mostly not drivers, and so this might be a little more challenging because you, you might be don't think this way. We don't think this way anymore because like, I'll just look it up if I need it. Um, draw a map of your parish, you know, where you live. And this involves the key places, your neighborhood, your town, your school, your church. You can draw it to whatever scale you want. I got paper and pens. No, it's this might be challenging. You might realize how little you know about your town or your neighborhood or where things, the, where your how close your school and your church and your, and your house are to each other. Yeah. You need a pen? If you're having a hard time pulling these different places together, maybe you just want to do your neighborhood. And maybe say, who lives when these houses next to me? Who's, whose house is where? And maybe you're finding that challenging. Yeah, you, you, I hear you saying that, you know, like, I know everybody in my neighborhood. That's, that's illuminating, right? We don't know who surrounds us. We're not, it's, that's, there's some areas to grow in Godspeed. Or maybe you've never, you know, maybe you're having trouble just even putting it on a map because uh, I've never really thought that before or looked at that before. It's actually really fun because if you get to know places and people, there's stories behind all of them. How did this come to be? Why is this here? Where were they before they came here? Some of you might be starting to see how much land and miles you cover to incorporate all these things. Some of you, your world may be a little smaller, maybe all condensed. Others of you, it may be really spread out, depending on where you live. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause this there. That's a good way to get started. You have opportunity to continue to build on your map throughout the day. Or maybe when you're on the ride home, you can think a little more about your parish as you go back to your parish. Um, how, how mapping it out gives you a sense for it spatially. Gives you a sense of where am I actually at if you've never thought about it before. So maybe I can inhabit it a little bit more attentively. Um, next, y'all are like locked in. Y'all are locked in on your maps right now. It's pretty fun, isn't it? It's pretty fun. If you want to keep doodling, that's okay. I'm going to keep moving. Uh, another thing you can do, this goes with your map. Is learn, you've already encountered the problem here. Learn the names of your neighbors. If you don't know them. Even adults, I know they're weird and awkward to talk to. I know, we're pretty scary. Uh, learn the names of your classmates. Some of you, you go, you're like, have maybe a class of 10 people, and it's like, I, I know too much about these people. Um, some of you, it's like, there's like 350 people in my class. Um, and, and you go to class and you don't know the guy or girl sitting in the desk next to you. Strike up a conversation and get to know them. You don't really know someone unless you know their name. 
and remember their name. Maybe you've met somebody this week and you're, and you're like, oh yeah, you. I've done that. I'll confess it. There's a couple people I've met that they told me their name and I had it and it's gone. Learn the name of local trees. Um, one of my nerd gifts that I got for Christmas last year was a field guide to the trees, the Audubon field guide. It's awesome. You guys may think it's lame, but it's awesome. I learned a couple what a couple of trees are in the park right down the street from us. I learned what trees are in our yard. Know your place. It's kind of fun. What kind of trees do you have in your yard? What kind of plants and flowers are there? Learn about them. What are the names of the roads? This will help you when you start driving. What businesses are nearby? What are the big businesses in your town? And why, did the, why are they there? Who works there? Um, what about the neighborhood pets? Do they have a dog next door? What's the dog's name? Maybe you don't like the dog. I don't know. But the fun thing about this is behind all of these things, there's tons of awesome stories. If you're looking for entertainment, this is loads of endless entertainment, especially during the summer. It would be really fun. Another thing you can do is if you have a phone or a watch, um, you can set a little alarm to help you practice a here I am awareness and prayerfulness, just saying, God, I'm open to you right in this place. I'm open to you spiritually and emotionally right now. Um, Think of it like a church bell. There used to be in communities like in Scotland, there's actually a Lutheran church within like walking distance from my house that has plays church bells at different every on the hour every hour. So we I kind of get to do this, but it's reminding you that time is passing, and you are in a place. You are here, and you're hearing this, and so you can set maybe an alarm a couple times throughout the day to say just beep beep beep, and you just take a second, take a minute or two to say the Lord here I am, offer up a prayer. Try to be mindful of where you are. Maybe you're at school. Maybe you're at home. That's just an idea. A couple times like that. It's, like it's your own little church bell. And I, and I think there's some alarms that even sound like church bells. If you want to choose those. Kind of fun. Um, here's the more challenging one. I would encourage you, um, and we'll get more into the Sabbath in a minute, but if you're not taking a day off from your work, which for you would be school and sports, like a day when you're not doing that, you need to. And I've got great reasons for it. Number one, the, the, the trump card reason, God says you should. He commands you to do it. And number two, he says it's good for you. It's good for you to rest. It's the pattern of creation. It's the pattern of the church. And I would encourage you on that Sabbath, turn off your devices. Turn off your phone. Shut down the gaming console. Turn off the TV. Rest. Get some sleep. Read your Bible. Pray. Hang out with your family. Hang out with some friends. Go outside. Learn the names of flowers and trees and dogs. Go for a walk. It's good stuff. Or, and I just did one of these somewhat successfully, a digital detox, which is a seven plus days of Little to no screens. Because some of us, we might need to do something like this to just be able to focus at all. Because we've trained ourselves so much to be hyper-reactive, moving too fast, inattentive. And so here's some ideas for a digital detox. Um, One of the benefits is you'll sleep more if you get your phone out of your room and you're not gaming until 2 in the morning. Busted. (laughs) 
I know people do this. I know you guys probably do. Um, by shutting down these screens, shutting down these devices, you get some more sleep. Y'all are all tired, and you need more sleep than you're getting anyway. You need 8 to 10 hours of sleep every day, every night. And you're not getting it. Um, if, you have a, if you have a smartphone, this is like an iPhone, you can use, if you go under settings, you can use screen time to monitor to, to see how much time you're on your phone and how you're spending your time on your phone and also to restrict usage. Hopefully your parents are kind of helping you with this anyways, but if they're not, just say, Mom and Dad, I'm on my phone too much. And they'll be like, <gasps> like shocked that you would say that to them. And say, hey, I, you know, I'm trying to use this a little bit better. What, what restrictions can I put? And so you can restrict time. You can say, I only want to spend this amount of time on my phone. And it'll like, I haven't even explored it all, but there's all kinds of stuff you can do with that. But to check it out, set some good boundaries. Um, understand dopamine. Dopamine is this chemical in your, in your body that um, it's like a reward chemical. And so, like when someone likes you, likes your photo, you get a, it's like a shot of dopamine in your body. Um, when you are getting stimulus from a screen, it's like a shot in your body. So think about it this way: playing games and being on social media is like guzzling sugar. It's like taking a big mound of sugar and just taking spoonfuls, spoonfuls. How healthy would you be if you just kept spoonfuling sugar into your mouth all day, every day? It would be bad for you. This is why we can't pay attention. This is why we can't be present is because we've been taking mental sugar all day, every day. Gain an understanding and awareness of that. Um, maybe even delete social media. I know this is, maybe for some of you that's like no way Jose. Um, but there's also a feature, and I can show you how to do this, but you can actually go on your phone and set it to grayscale where it turns everything black and white on your phone and it makes your phone really boring. I did it for my phone for a couple times, and you like pull it out, and you're like, I don't even want to look at anything. This is just boring. <laughs> so it's another deterrent to keep you from being on your phone so much, but I can show you how to do that if you want to. And then, if you're, as you're, you're setting the screen aside, set aside time to study your Bible. Get a Bible reading plan. Get someone to, to, to read with. Set aside time to prayer, for prayer. Set aside time to spend time with friends and family. Be face-to-face in the, with the people that are surrounding you. So you have to, if you're moving stuff out, if you're taking stuff away, you've got to add stuff in. You know, because if you just take all that stuff out, you're just going to be like freaking out because you have nothing to do. But make time for the Lord, make time for people, be outside, explore the place. Those are some ideas, there's more, but that's if you want to do a digital detox. And so now let's say another prayer that the DVD will work. Um, If not, I'm going to try... I'm going to try... Uh... I think for many of us in the modern Western world, it takes us all our lives to learn to this later.
guys. I'm not sure if it's gonna work. Maybe you should close like, after, after, after it. After it after it resumes, just keep it paused and then just keep it in that small screen. Lower the quality. Setting go. You could just do like a Eugene Pearson. Yeah. 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 Oh, this is scary. <laughs> 360 pretty it's bad. Scary. Why, did, why did you tell me to do this? Like did you do grayscale? Doesn't it make your phone boring? It's, it's you don't even want to be on it anymore. It's like, what is this thing? Okay, my game's not much different. Having issues? No, your game's gonna be so boring. Your game's gonna be so boring on there. Y'all, I'm not, I, I'm not thinking it's gonna work, but that's okay. We can still talk about it. I know it's okay. You guys can still go and watch the whole uh, documentary on LiveGodSpeed.org, which I would recommend. It's good stuff. Um, but I will, I will keep moving here. It's also talking about pace. Um, just consider, we thought about this with Jesus's life. The way, y'all know, um, how old was Jesus when he died? 32? Close, 33. Yeah, pretty close. Um, and this is an interesting, I was, uh, just, I was talking about this with Justin last night. But, um, so, age 0 to 30, his birth through obscurity where nobody knew about him was 91% of Jesus' life. 91% of Jesus' life was spent where nobody knew who he was. He was just a regular carpenter dude. I imagine people probably thought, like, hey, this is, like, a great guy. I mean, <laughs> sinless person. I like, I really, man, I'm going to, I really want him to build my table. He's just a great, you know. I imagine he was a really good carpenter, too. Um, That'd be pretty awkward if he wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of side thing would sound? like, this table's kind of wobbly, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> it's not quite level. <laughs> That would be interesting. Uh, so 91% of his life was spent in obscurity. And then his public ministry, which was the last three years of his life, was less than 10% of his life. And then the Passion Week, you know, uh, when he was really famous, his 15 minutes of fame, if you will, were, was a week, which is less than 0.01% of his life. Okay. Doesn't this strike you weird? Like, what is he doing during these 30 years? God has come to earth and he's, he's unknown and he's a carpenter, a local carpenter for 30 years. You're wasting your time, God. Right? Some of you had to think that, right? Maybe. God is challenging us. He moves at a different speed and a different pace than we do. He has maybe a little bit different priorities than we do. Was this wasted time? Was these 30 years wasted? No. What was going on during those 30 years that were important? Preparation. Preparation. Because Jesus is human, which means he's not like, he doesn't just know everything. Like, he actually had to study his Bible, y'all. He had to go to class. He had to learn all these things as we did. He had to learn. I mean, when Jesus was born, he wasn't like speaking seven languages. He's a baby. 
I mean, he's a pretty incredible kid. Obviously, the story of his birth, we have that in the Gospels. We also have the account of him in the temple um, where he was, like, teaching the teachers at age 12. Um, pretty incredible. That's like if you went up to, like, the seminary campus where, like, I got this gal. And just started, like, teaching the seminary professors. I'm all, I got this, y'all. Uh, God, Jesus lives at a very different pace. He lived at a very different pace, and this challenges us. That God moves a little bit slower, but very purposefully. During this time, Jesus was growing and, like you were saying, preparation. But he was also keeping the law perfectly on our behalf. At every stage of life, up to full maturity, because actually age 30 in the Hebrew, conception of things was full maturity. That's when priests became, could be, um, become ordained to office, age 30. He was keeping the law perfectly in every, way, in every way from the heart for us so that the record would be perfect and be, that it could be credited to us who believe by faith. So it wasn't wasted time. And he, uh, he, he learned many different things. He grew. So the way God works, this is a survey of a few things, the way God does things. And, and just gives you a little bit of pause. Okay, God makes the world in six days. Different things every day, and then he rests. Why? He's God. He can do anything. Why would he just go, let there be, boom, and everything's there? What? Yeah, this is a model for our, our week. It goes back to the Sabbath idea we talked about. Why does he do this? It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's taking his time and care. And I'll, I'll just say, part of my answer to that question is, I don't know. I don't know why he does that. It's, it's strange to me, but that's what he does. He's being careful in his work. I think you're right. He's wanting us to pay attention to certain things. He's communicating a story and a message. Um, and he's laying down a pattern for the way we should live our lives. But it's strange, right? Let's just note that it's strange that God doesn't, even though he has the power to do something, he doesn't. Like, it's kind of like, um, you know, with Aladdin and the genie. If he's like, oh, I'm going to fulfill part of your wish today, and then the rest tomorrow. And then the next day, I'm going to give you a little bit more, and then a little bit more. It's like, no, genie, make my wish now. Doesn't make sense. Okay, God works through horrible people. <laughs> Moses is a murderer. He's a prophet. And he, and he, and he um, got ang- so angry and disobeyed God. He got so angry with God's people that he disobeyed and didn't get to go to the promised land. Jacob, all, all those guys, Abraham, they're horrible. The priest, Aaron, wor- makes the golden calf for people to worship. The judges, Samson, horrible person. They all have problems. The kings, they're selfish. They're adulterers. They're murderers. But God works through them. He redeems them. Why does he do that? Why would he take the whole Old Testament to do this? Thousands of years to tell this story. Why? Why would he just send Jesus in Genesis 4? Actually, it's interesting. When uh, Cain is born, Eve says, finally I have gotten a man. Because she's thinking this is the one predicted in Genesis 3.15. The offspring of the woman that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And she's really wrong, right? But there's that hope there. 
All, and then we come back to Jesus. Jesus is completely unexpected, unlikely, ordinary. Uh, Isaiah 53 tells us there was nothing about him that stood out that made him look good. He wasn't necessarily attractive in the way we would think. We were, nobody would be uh, automatically drawn to him. He was born poor to an unwed mother in a stable. Very unlikely Messiah. And then us. <laughs> Why does God work through us? Why does he put his Holy Spirit in us to, to make the, the church grow and the kingdom come? What? That's slow, strange work. Why would he do that? God moves at a different speed. He's not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. He is very purposeful. He's, he is methodical. And he, and he wants us to trust him and walk with him more than he wants us to get stuff done. Hear me when I say that. Sometimes we're so busy getting things done for Jesus that we don't spend time with Jesus. That we don't know Jesus. He's not as interested in you getting things done for him or being this or that or the other as with being with him. Knowing him and being known by him. That's what he wants. He wants you. He doesn't want you to do stuff for him. He'll use you to do things, but he wants you. That's the whole point. I love this quote. This is from a Japanese theologian, Kasuki Koyama. This is an awesome book, The Three Mile an Hour Guide, because God moves at three miles per hour. And he says this, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would, not have, gone, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. As you guys know, love takes time. To truly know someone and to be known by someone, it takes time. I've been married uh, nine years in October. I am astonished how much I have learned in nine years and, and learned about my wife and she's learned about me. And we love each other so much more than we did when we first met. And it's hard to believe because you're just like, ooh, just so overwhelmed with love at the beginning and in and, 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 and its own way. But my love for her, and, and I would assume her love for me. <laughs> Has grown so much. And, I, and I, I really anticipate and look for what is that going to be decades down the line. Because love takes time. God is loving us and he's always moving slowly to love us. And for us to love him. It's beautiful and it's good. Here's, uh, well, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm going to skip this. There's two types of time, but we'll come, we can talk about that later. Um, application. You can do this today. Go on a long walk and hike and look around and notice things. What's around you? What do you see? What plants are there? Where do the trails go? Look at the Camp Olasso map. What's here? Explore. Who's around you? What are they doing? What do you hear? Are there alligators in the lake? I don't know. There's frogs there. I've heard them. Um, and as you're doing that, think of Jesus walking with you at three miles per hour. And if you, you, you feel so led... Pray with him. Pray to him. Talk to him. Just moving slow. Where are you at with him spiritually? Talk to him. Observe the Sabbath. This is a no-brainer. Your work is school and sports. You ought to have a day that you don't do that. And I would recommend Sunday. Which requires you to work really hard the other six days. Which might require you to make some hard decisions when it comes to your teams and your sports. Nobody's going to do that for you. That's going to be your decision. This is going to be a hard decision if you really want to rest and you want to obey God. But setting aside time for you to get the rest you need, to be attentive to the Lord, 
So this might mean instead of waiting till Sunday at 9 p.m. to do your homework, it might mean doing some homework on Saturday. Am I may saying, uh, you know, risking the, the opportunity, saying I might not get to play if I, because I don't go to this practice or this game on Sunday. Something to at least think about. Which brings me to the next point. If you're overloaded and overwhelmed, and especially if you're super anxious and you're feeling it, maybe consider quitting an activity or a sport. You're running yourself under the ground. You don't have to do that. You don't have to play on uh, your school team and a, a, a travel team and an elite team and all like three teams at once or play two sports at a time during a, during a season. You don't have to make this huge resume for yourself. It's not worth it if you go crazy in the process. And then take time to cultivate the spiritual disciplines. Read the Bible, prayer, meditation. Practicing solitude and silence. Being watchful. Watchful over your own heart. Watchful over the temptations you face. Create space and time to do that. You can only do that by slowing down. I want to close with um, kind of something we did yesterday. This song, we're going to do, we're going to slow ourselves down and then we're going to, then we're going to hear the song. This song is, I want you to just imagine... Jesus sang this to you, this song. Uh, this is a, a kid's song, but um, it really ministers to me. I listen to this album with my kids. Um, and this is just an invitation from Jesus to say, come to me and find rest. And so I'm going to cue it up. But first, um, I want you to let's just practice and slow down a little bit. Let's breathe a little bit. All right, sit straight, back to the chair. Feet flat on the ground. Hands, relax, kind of relax, rest your body. <coughs> All right, and so we're going to take a deep breath in through the nose and then out through the mouth. Keep your eyes open still at this point. I'm worried about you guys. <laughs> take another. You're working way too hard. Kind of have a soft focus on the next inhale. Slowly close your eyes. Please speak quietly, please. Take another deep breath. <coughs> Feel the weight of your body in the chair. Feel your hands resting on your legs. Feel your body's relaxing, your mind's relaxing. Take another deep breath. Now just breathe um, normally and, and slowly. I'm going to start the song. Keep your eyes closed, still resting. And this is Jesus' invitation to you. This is what he says to you.
needing you, needing your presence, needing you to teach us how to walk with you, how to learn the rhythms of your grace, how to rest even when we are awake. Lord, we pray that you would help us do this, that you would help us to learn how to be attentive to where we are, to unearth holiness in the places you put us, with the people you put us with, and that you would help us um, to live Godspeed where we are. Help us, Lord, as we go back home tomorrow to maybe take some of this with us and find a great joy. Um, but help us in the struggle because this is, this is different. This is against the grain. Um, but your spirit will lead us, and we pray that you would. In Jesus' name, amen.